Hi and hello, Watch fans. Welcome to episode 51 of Fratello On Air, otherwise known as Wasp 7.0. I'm Rob, calling in from Dresden, and I'll be joined shortly by the international man of mystery, Balaj, phoning in from Karlsruhe. We're back in the smooth booth after taking a one-week break for Watchers and Wonders, and we have some fun stuff for you today. If you're new to Wasp, welcome. In this podcast, Watching Sports and Sporting Watchers, Balaj and I will be talking about our dual love of sports and watchers. Today, we're going to discuss our three favorite sporting icons and which watchers we'd give them if we had the chance. After that, we'll be ending the show with a new segment, Rob Lee's Believe It or Not. But before all that, let's welcome my co-host to the show and see what he has to say for himself, Balaj. How you doing, buddy? I'm not hangover this time. Amazing. <laughs> Last time we talked, I was really not feeling good. You could see it on the screen. It was a powerful visual. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a powerful night before. My followers, all, all my 15 followers on Instagram who, who left me after that night, thank you. And I'm so sorry that you had to see that. <laughs> um, I think I sound, actually, I, I listened that episode back and I think I sound, oops, I think I sounded okay, I am. Um, but I wasn't feeling okay, that's for sure. But it was a great night and yeah. I, uh, I thought you had a, a slightly sexier tone to your already sexy voice. Uh, we get a lot of uh, positive comments about your voice uh, on, on our social media channels. So goodness knows what last week did to our listeners. They were probably enjoying it quite a lot. And uh, luckily we had, we had Ben to step in for a little bit last week to talk about the Formula One, which was mm. good. And uh, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Toby Brooks, over in England, another Formula One expert. And uh, I think that he might be popping onto the phone line to talk to us about uh, the F1 as the season progresses also. So we have a, a growing a growing number of correspondents for Formula One around the globe. How exciting. Very nice. We have this, I wouldn't call it contest, but this thing going on with York when sometimes we, we uh, call each other on the phone and we talk about Formula One and we try to come up with the, the sketchiest drivers uh, from the 90s and 2000s. You know, what we remember. And I think one time I, I had to pull out my Joker card, Heinz Harald Frentzen from the Jordan team, who was an awful driver as far as I'm concerned. And he was an even worse person. And um, if you remember early Formula One from like, I mean, early, well, mid, what was it? Mid 90s, mid to late 90s. Um, yeah, that's, um, that was my winner pick for that day. But um, for all those Heinz Harald Frentzen fans out there, I'm so sorry. I just hated that guy. I think he was a, a, a tool bag. But anyways, he really was. Do you remember him? People. No, I don't remember him. I, don't, I really don't. But from the sounds of it, I'm glad that he's, uh, he's not part of my memory. Yeah, he was, he was with Team Jordan when Jordan had this bright yellow car. And I think he was uh, teammates with uh, Ralph Schumacher. What was, was his obviously name? Enric Marzipan. Heinz Harald Frentzen. Awful German guy. Awful. Just oh, awful. Really. What did he do to offend you so badly? I don't know. He, I, I, he was just, I mean, I, there were some a-holes in, in Formula One at the time, right? Like like uh, Montoya was one of those guys that like, people either loved him or hated him. I kind of hated him, but but I, I love to hate him, you know, because he was a good driver. He was a very aggressive driver, but he was a good driver. But this guy, Frentzen, I just like, oh, come on, dude, just, just cut it. I get out of the car, go, finish, go, you're done. Take a shower. Wow. I mean, what a fiery start to the show. I can only hope it continues in the same vein. Have you got any slightly like optimistic <laughs> additions? <laughs> no, it just, it just came to mind. Heinz and I friends in, man. What a joke. Uh, anyways. Um, yeah. But I loved, I loved Formula One back then. I was, I was a Ferrari fan, obviously. At, at the time when, you know, it was 
Ferrari against McLaren, uh, David Coulthard and uh, Mika Hakkinen against Michael Schumacher and then Eddie Irvine and then Rubens Barrichello. You know, those are the days, man. A good era, a very good era yeah. indeed, full of very, origins. very good. Yeah, and and uh, Henrik Marzipan. Hence our friends. <laughs> I met right. David Coulthard a few years ago at the Hockenheim ring. Just I, you don't see it, guys, but I'm pointing and like to the right because really that's where <laughs> Hockenheim is compared to my apartment. Um, he's actually a, a surprisingly tall guy, but my favorite driver was Eddie Irvine. He was crazy. He was like the the white Formula One Dennis Rodman almost. Anyway, uh, back to 2021 uh, in, in all kinds of ways. Uh, tell us what's happening in the news this week. What's on your mind? Actually, I got a, a couple of messages from people asking me about the music, the intro music. We kind of mentioned the guy, but I, really I got so many messages asking about it. So um, this intro is done by a guy called Skilly Music. You can find him on Instagram under Skilly Music, at Skilly Music, S-K-I-L-L-Y Music. And um, he's a producer music producer from germany and this is one of his beats and you can hear it um at you know obviously he sells it so you can hear other places actually he also sold this beat rob i want to tell you this to a division one ncaa basketball team uh don't ask me which one but they made a you know a movie of the i think a 2015 or 16 team um, like all the highlights and stuff. And this is the beat, or this is the music under the, the video. So we're we're up there with the NCAA Division One basketball. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's done us a great service there. And he even, uh, he even retooled the uh, original track that we used yes. in the first couple of episodes to uh, our, our very own custom intro and outro, which was massively appreciated. And it adds, adds a certain quality to the show, which uh, obviously goes missing in between the intro and the outro but you know the start and the finish are great so if you can hang around for about an hour and listen to us prattle on about our sporting heroes and uh, some bizarre situations uh, in the world of sport and beyond then uh, it's worth it trust me because it gets a hell of a lot better for the last minute it's brilliant yeah so he's a great guy he's a good good friend of mine it's killing music so check him out speaking of double uh, ncaa gonzaga the Gonzaga Bulldogs with an impressive, impressive 31-0 season. Crazy. We're living in a, an era of some mental super teams all over the place. Um, I was just having a conversation earlier today in the wake of uh, the Champions League games played uh, this week um, about how six months ago we were calling Bayern Munich not just the best team in German football, possibly the best team in the world, maybe even the best team ever and a few injuries and a little, I know, I know, I know, but it was in the conversation, you know, because the dominance that they've had in the Bundesliga for the past decade, um, the Champions League victory last season, it was all adding up to uh, make this uh, Hansi Flick led team look like, you know, one of the very, very greatest soccer teams to ever take to the pitch. Um, but yeah, it's all kind of fallen, fallen to pieces. They are likely to still go on and win the Bundesliga. It would take something special for Leipzig to overhaul them now after they lost their head to head. Uh, recently 1-0, uh, following Frankfurt's uh, exhilarating 2-1 win over Dortmund to put Frankfurt in uh, solidly in the fourth position of a Bundesliga and leave Dortmund seven points adrift in fifth place. Um, but in addition to Bayern, we've got these great teams like we had the Liverpool team of last year. We've had the Man City team of many years. 
We've had the Real Madrid team that under Zidane has been uh, imperiously successful in the Champions League. And it's no wonder, you know, I, the guy I was talking to about this, uh, he, he was complaining about this flippancy, maybe how we flip from one team to the next and say, oh, this is the greatest team that's ever played the game. Um, but I said, it's no surprise because if you look at the top leagues in Europe, they're, they're really closed shops. There's only a couple of teams that can win either, uh, any of them, um, really, realistically speaking. And um, it's because of the money and the disparity between the top teams and the other teams in these uh, supposedly top tier leagues. Um, I think I still think the British or the English Premier League is the most competitive, but um, even that one is is pretty static. And so now we're facing the situation with Man City going up against PSG in the semi-finals and Real Madrid playing bizarrely Chelsea in the other semi-final, where if Man City are able to finally get over the hump and win the Champions League and polish off the league as they're expected to, and following it up with wins in the FA Cup and the League Cup, they'll be the only uh, the only English team ever to win. Uh, the quadruple, which was just thought to be unattainable, uh, United's Manchester United's 1999 treble was something very, very special. And City are now, you know, on the cusp of overtaking it. So are they the greatest team ever? I don't know, man. It's crazy. And you got these crazy records all over the place. So you want to know, what can you say? All I know, and for one, actually, we have to go back to NCAA because Gonzaga went to the finals with this 93-90 win and then they lost against Baylor. Um, so Gonzaga's just second place. So they didn't win the, the, the March Mania, uh, or March Mania, <laughs> the March Madness. Uh, they didn't win the March Mania either, but they didn't win March Madness this year. It was Baylor. Uh, but Gonzaga got a, a very good game uh, getting into the finals. But speaking of football, what do you think about AFC Richmond in the Premier League? He would love to see Rob's face now. He's trying to boot the hard drive and think about AFC Richmond. There's no such team in the Premier League. What are you talking about? I'm talking about AFC Richmond. Isn't that the best English team right now? Maybe not the best, but I mean, with Roy Kent, he's an older player, but he's, you know, he still has some power. Um, guys, I'm not drunk. Um, not high. I'm talking about um, imagine, imaginary uh, Premier League. And for those of you who have Apple TV, you probably watch, or if not, then you should watch this TV show called Ted Lasso. And um, you might remember there was a commercial a few years ago with Jaden Sudeikis where he's, um, he's, play he's playing a, an, an American football coach, a uh, college football coach, who comes to Europe to, t to coach uh, Tottenham. Um, and his name, his name is Ted Lasso. So that commercial was so successful that they actually made a TV show about him called Ted Lasso. And in a TV show, he comes to, to the Premier League to coach this, um, obviously, imaginary football team called the AFC Richmond. And as they say, this AFC Richmond is very similar to Chester City Football Club. I'm not sure about that, but um, it's a super cool show. It's very funny. Um, you, I, I guess you have no idea, Rob, judging by your facial expression. You have, you've not heard of this show. No, you caught me out on this last time. Like I, I had sort of this sideways awareness of, uh, of mm -hmm. this character, but I'd never seen the show. No, and uh, AFC Richmond, you you really had me there. I was like, what is going on? Like I was thinking, who's getting promoted from the championship this year? I think I know Norwich are going to be coming back by the looks of things. But I was like, who the hell are AFC Richmond? How has he done me? Yeah, on, on, oh, right, it's, yeah, <laughs> beating in your own game. It's it's a it's a super funny show. It's it's about I think it's twelve episodes, ten episodes, thirty minutes an episode. 
And it's just really a, he's like a happy-go-lucky guy. He comes to England, comes to London to, as an American football coach to, to teach this, I mean, to coach this, um, this Premier League uh, football team. And obviously, uh, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you anything. It's a great show. Um, if you have 30 minutes, watch it in a week, you'll be done. And I came across on Twitter that I guess the company or, or the, 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 or Apple was sending out care packages of AFC Richmond fans in a box. And there was like AFC Richmond mugs and uh, the, the cakes that, well, there's a special type of cake in the story. AFC Richmond jerseys, football jerseys. So where's my care package? I'd like to get some. It's really cool stuff. It, it all makes sense when you watch the show. So watch the show and then, then check out this care package thing. It's, it's really funny. It's a great show. First season's done. Second season coming back next year, I hope. Or maybe even this year. Before you leave us to watch this, uh, this show, this hotly recommended show, let's, uh, let's compel our listeners to hang around for a little bit longer and uh, listen to the watches we would gift our sporting icons. Now, we've both picked three sporting icons. Um, they are our personal heroes. Some of them are globally renowned superstars. Maybe the others are a little bit less so. We don't know. We haven't compared. I guess we're not going to have any, uh, any duplicates. I tried to go off the beaten track a little bit because I, I have a feeling you're going to be uh, calling upon a certain Swiss tennis player at some point, and uh, he might have made it into my top three had I not had this strong suspicion that mm. he would feature in yours. So why don't you take it away? Give us, give us one of your sporting icons and which watch you would gift to him or her. Yeah, so the first one that I have He's a, I mean, if I tell you the first stats, you will know he's six-time NBA champion. Now, it could be Bill Russell, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot more than six, but I mean, it yeah, could. Yeah, I think he has like 11. It could be Phil Jackson because he's technically a six-time champion and then some. Well, he's a 13-time champion, 11 as a coach and two as a player. Six times finals MVP. Okay, well, that's, times... that's, that's defined it because I was thinking there is, I, I mean, surely Pippen's got six. True. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Five-time NBA MVP, 14 times All-Star, three times NBA All-Star MVP, 10 times scoring champion, two times Olympic gold medalist, and the list goes on and on and on. And Robert is, I mean, he has, he has more, probably more than six championships. <laughs> That's true. seven championships. <laughs> yeah. But Robert Ory, yeah, Robert Ory is, um, yeah, he has uh, probably 15 championships from 14 different teams. The luckiest guy ever. Um, no, it's obviously my childhood icon. We mentioned him many, many times. You told a cool story about the, about his jersey and your brother. And uh, I have his jerseys hanging in the closet, uh, a couple of them. And this is Michael Jordan, obviously, from the Chicago Bulls. MJ. Yeah, I mean, uh, I you know, we can talk about Kobe. We can talk about LeBron and, and so on and so forth. Bill Russell, obviously, Magic Johnson. Um, the, yeah, Larry Bird, the list goes on and on. To me, the GOAT is Michael Jordan. And because he is the GOAT, I was thinking he should get a very special watch, right? Okay. Now, Michael Jordan loves the usual suspects. Panerai, Rolex. You saw him at IWC Big Pilot, I think. There's a, a f when he went to pick up this um, medal from Obama, he was wearing a Big Pilot, a Platinum Big Pilot. So, you know, he's, yeah, okay, cool watches. But he's also into... Uh, auto luxury pieces, you know, He's, mm -hmm. he has an Urwerk or maybe even more. Um, but I was thinking about another brand. It's one of our, one of our uh, good friends. Uh, and I was thinking he should get as a goat, 
a goat cheese watch by Moser. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm okay. sure that um, Ed Malan would consider that. Absolutely. So, you know, I was thinking, like, what if we make him a watch or they, well, I'd love to say we, but he uh, or them, they would make him a watch, not with Swiss cow cheese, in a Swiss cow cheese case, but in a goat cheese case. Hmm? And the leather strap, um, you know, with like a, a goat leather strap instead of a cow leather strap. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Hmm? Could it be lined with like Spalding basketball leather as well, maybe? For example. Very nice. Um, but I was also thinking um, we could also perhaps play with it a bit and uh, have a goat leather strap. And instead of cheese, it could be like Chicago deep dish crust case. He's from Chicago. What is Chicago famous for? Pizza deep dish. So what do you think about a pizza crust case instead of goat cheese? Well, I like them both. Yeah, I, I mean, they both sound delicious and it's making me quite hungry just thinking about it, um, which is kind of um, what put me off buying that one million Swiss franc uh, cheese cased watch. Uh, not the million francs, that was not intimidating in the slightest, of course. It was just the fact I was concerned I would just nibble at it all the time and it would uh, lose its integrity sooner rather than later. But MJ is obviously not the... Uh, athlete that he, he was in his in his pump you could have a stuffed crust full of single single malt whiskey i think he'd like that as well not to mention that since the last dance we know that this legendary flu game in the 1997 finals was actually food poisoning where jordan ordered pizza before the game in in utah and apparently the pizza was poisoned so there's the connection you know well that's cool so you're saying to me like if he ever has to play the jazz again in a in a do or die playoff matchup then rather than ordering from a local takeaway that might mm -hmm. be compelled to poison the greatest player of all time he can instead eat his watch right if it's made of chicago deep dish crust yeah and have a goat goat leather strap with it of course that that, that watch the moser watch has a beautiful deep uh, red dial so that the dial is perfect you know they just need to get a new case and a new strap and off we go let so, the trumpets blow so the Technology exists and the styling exists. We just need to make it happen. All right. Well, there you go. Piece of cake. Pizza. Piece, piece of cheese. Piece, piece of pizza in this case. Pizza. 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 Nice. Okay. 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 So MJ makes another appearance. I'm going to drop um, my probably most uh, influential sporting icon from my childhood. Maybe not one you saw coming. It's uh, Richard Veronque or Varenk, if you're pronouncing it uh, in English really badly. Um, a cyclist, um, a French cyclist. Do you know anything about Varenk? Zero. All right, so when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pro cyclist, and I was obsessed with the Tour de France, and I would watch it all the time with my dad. Uh, we still follow it um, very intensely. Uh, Varenk was famous for his King of the Mountains jersey record he actually ended up winning seven titles along with seven individual stages in the tour de france between 1994 and 2004 that's the most mountains classification wins by any rider um beating the previous record of six uh which was a bit controversial because perhaps what varenk is most famous for aside from his uh, dominance in the mountains throughout the mid and late 90s is the fact that in 
1998 Tour de France, he was the central player in what became known as the Festina scandal, or the Festina doping inquiry, if you prefer, when the entire Festina team was removed from the tour, having been found guilty of systematic blood doping. And I mean, uh, I mean, already the the brand Festina is a scandal. So the brand I'm Festina, not... of course, it's a watch brand. Um, so you yes. know, it's relevant. Um, not not entirely without reason why I picked uh, Verank for this section, but um, it was it was terrible. It, it, he handled it awfully. He was the darling of the French public and uh, a hero to to many French cycling fans. And he did not have a good PR representative. In his corner, he continually denied any kind of involvement in this long after his team and everybody around the team had admitted fallibility and uh, he became a bit of a bit of a joke. Uh, he was frequently sent up on French TV as being this sort of uh, slightly dumb puppet with uh, syringes hanging out of his head constantly um, because he was obviously doped up to the eyeballs. I will defend him and say this much. I think that the majority of the Peloton was on something in that era and there have been champions before and since that have either admitted uh, drug usage or been found out for it. So I don't think he's really an exception, but he is something of a poster boy of that tainted era. And the entire Tour de France of 1998 was uh, blighted by this immense scandal that sent shockwaves through the sport. It ended up being won by Marco Pantani, one of the most charismatic riders uh, ever to sit upon a road bike. Uh, he unfortunately died um, in Rimini, uh, a very young age, from uh, co cocaine poisoning, I think. So recreational drugs for him, uh, for the most part. Anyway, on that subject, the watch that I decided to give to Richard was a delightful Richard Mill RM25-01 Tourbillon Adventure which was released back in 2018, I believe, in collaboration with Sylvester Stallone, who is a collector of these watches and had something to do with its design. Do you remember this watch, Balaj? Yeah, I do. I do. So can you remember what maybe some of its uh, most defining characteristics were? Um, which is connected to him? That might be obvious. To... Yeah. I mean, I know that it was... It was in one of the movies, right? And it had like a compass or something in it, like a yes. Um, it was like a this hideously huge watch with like a probably carbon case. I'm not I'm not sure, but it was like a, a um, camouflage rubber strap, and it had like a compass right. and like some uh, like a level in yep, it, and yep. some stuff like that. But I can't remember all the details. So the big thing that we're looking at here is at two o'clock, actually. It's on the outside of the case, and it looks like another crown, but it's actually a small compartment which has been uh, designed to carry water purification tablets, okay? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, I grew up reading the Asterix books when I was a kid, and I remember keenly that the Roman centurions always had these little rings that popped open, which seemed to be full of snuff or some other illicit drug that they would sample whenever they needed to. And I mm -hmm. thought... You know, maybe this would be ideal for Varenk because he could keep something in there, a little bit of a pick-me-up, you know, some, uh, I don't know, something like uh, amphetamines maybe or whatnot, but, you know, similar sort of Tommy Simpson style. I don't know if you heard of Tommy Simpson, but he was a famous British cyclist who actually died on the slopes of Mont Ventoux mid-race, um, having drugged himself up to the eyeballs with amphetamines, which weren't really illegal in those days in the sport, but obviously very, very dangerous. So this this watch for me is the ultimate drug dealer's watch. I'm not saying Varenk ever dealt in drugs, but he certainly partook in uh, 
in blood doping and maybe uh, some other, you know, uh, embellishments. And this one would be perfect for him if he was flagging a little bit behind one of his rivals in those days, Jalabert or um, Christophe Moreau or, I don't know, Santiago Botero. He could just, you know, pop open the little uh, little capsule at two o'clock and uh, have himself a little bit of taste. Okay. I can see that, and I can see that happening. And the watch is is really hideous. Um, and I, you know, as much as I know about cycling, those guys are really skinny, and oftentimes um, not too tall, so it would look just like a monster on his wrist. But why not? Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's he's um, he's not a a big guy. His, his racing weight was about sixty five kilos, which is um, one hundred forty three mm. pounds or ten stone three, if you prefer. Um, he wasn't the shortest cyclist. He's five foot ten and a half, so one hundred seventy nine, somewhere between you and I. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it would look ridiculous, totally ridiculous on his wrist. But you know, the whole situation surrounding the Festina affair in uh, in ninety eight was also ridiculous. So uh, that's my choice for old Rico. Mm. Needs must. Um, that's a good one. So we have Moser and we have Richard Mayer, two, two independents so far. Let's see what I have for my next icon. Um, we talked, you talked about tennis and you talked about a specific Swiss tennis player. And yes. you were, sadly, you were absolutely right. Yes. Um, I did choose Roger Federer. I'm not much of a tennis fan. Let's just, let's just put this out. Uh, I love tennis, but I'm not a crazy fan. Um, but when I look at Roger Federer, I look at him not only as a tennis player, but also what he represents when it comes to the hobby or the well or the, the game. And I think his his whole demeanor, the way he talks to to people, the, the way he carries himself, the the sponsors he have, you know, it, he's just a, like a classy, smart individual who's obviously extremely successful in in tennis. I mean, he's a twenty time Grand Slam a men's single champion. I think it's a record that holds with Nadal at the same, at, uh, like right, right now, both of them are at 20, 103 times ATP singles, title winner, uh, second, this is second most uh, behind uh, Jimmy Connors. So, you know, he basically um, won everything in, in tennis. And as I, I think a few episodes ago, I told you that I, I met him uh, thanks to actually Moser and uh, Miguel Sabra from Portugal. Um, who took me into the, the press launch uh, when he was giving his um, his uh, interview to the press after the game. It was the ATP tour in, in Stuttgart. And he was just a soft-spoken, humble dude, like a super nice guy. And it was just press, you know, like 30 people, 25, 30 people, all journalists. And um, he uh, answered all the questions. He took time. He shook hands. He took talked to everybody. So really, really nice person. Maybe it was just marketing. I don't know. But if it was marketing, it was working. Um, so I think he's he's in he's definitely in my top top three uh, sports icons, at least modern times. And so uh, you know, I was thinking, what can you give to a guy who has everything, right? I mean, Federer has one of the most iconic uh, uh, area of, of of sponsors, I think, from Rolex, Remova, Mercedes Benz. On running Credit Suisse, Jura, the, the the coffee company. When you drive on the autobahn in uh, Switzerland by the factory, you can see a huge poster of him on the side of the building. Uh, Moet, Barilla, Lindt, Wilson, Uniqlo. The, the list goes on and on. So 
but he's a, like a down-to-earth, likable person and uh, in real life. So, uh, you know, which I think he needs something like a, like a special watch that kind of flies under the radar. So do you remember that Tomas wrote this TBT article about the Zeno tennis watch a while ago? Yeah, yeah, I remember reading it, yeah. So can you tell us something about this watch? Why is it called the Zeno uh, tennis watch or how does it look like? I mean, obviously it's going to be in the show notes, the link, but um, basically Tomas wrote this article, I would say maybe a year ago, about uh, about this tennis, uh, about this watch, this vintage watch, a new old stock uh, Zeno watch, which was a, the tennis watch. And they made these uh, timepieces, and I think in 600 pieces between 1974 and 1977. Um, and what was the feature? Why it was called the tennis watch, Rob? Well, okay. If I can if, think back, I remember that it was it was a funny looking thing. It was split right down the middle. Um, it was two colors. Um, they definitely did a white and a red one, so that would be ideal for Federer. I can't. I think there might have been another color, but I'm just going to go with the white and the red. And you had the time, so you had the hours and the minutes centrally mounted as you expect. But then in each of the corners of the dial, you had another sub dial, each I believe separately operated by a pusher. And I think you could keep score of the games or something. Top two dials was something like the game like 0, 15, 30, 40. And then the bottom, something else. I don't know, like, I can't remember what it was. Like games in a set, maybe? Right. So that's a cool watch, right? I'm not sure if, if anybody in the 70s wore it while paying ten, playing tennis, but I, I can see that, you know, somebody putting that on with this rubber tropic strap and just counting the, the sets on the watch. Now, you know where Roger Federer is from? uh Beale? <laughs> i don't know no he's from he's from basel oh yeah I was, yeah of course he is. very of course. close to very close to basel he's a fan of the basel football club what's the name of zeno the watch company these days oh i don't know i don't know zeno uh zeno watches a watch company basel because in 1967 um when the huber family took over the ownership of the company zeno uh was moved to basel which is where it now resides, and it's called Zeno Watch Basel. And Roger Feder is from Basel, so there you go. There's the connection. Amazing. That is that is a really brilliant choice. I mean, come on. Uh, I've just pulled it up in front of me now, so I'm looking at it, and yeah, that color scheme is just ideal. I know it says something about the bezel as well. The bezel moves. Some big mm-hmm. marker on the bezel. Is that for serve? Is that what you put it on oh, one I side? I can't remember. It seems to have remember. like a has this very protrusive like uh, tab, I suppose I would say, with a big white circle that doesn't appear to be loomed, and it, it there's no markings on the bezel or or around the dial, so it can't be set. So I suppose it must be who's serving. Um, I guess oh, I guess that's what the uh, the dial sides are for. It's oh, brilliant, yeah, it's great. What a crazy choice, and uh, yeah, Basel, what a perfect place for Federer to have been born. Um, given, of course, there used to be a, a fair held in Basel every year. Do you remember it? Mm, vaguely it wasn't like a shoe fair was it yeah it was uh, it was for shoes and cheeses and Mm. i don't know like book binders sausage 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 yeah plenty of sausage Sausage. expensive 10 euros of sausage um or whatever um even 20 oh god yeah so yeah that's my that's my choice a watch that's technically from basel 
as I said, it, it was made in the 70s and from 67, the company had already been relocated to Basel. So it was a watch made in Basel for tennis players um, used by the most famous Swiss tennis player ever who is from Basel. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? That is pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah I can't really say anything but kudos. That was a great, great choice and uh, a great one to drag out from the archives as well. Nice little nod to Thomas. So, um, it's my turn again. I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to go back to the very late 60s and the majority of the 1970s and talk about the effect that Ken Stabler's career with the Oakland Raiders had uh, on me, looking back at it as a child of the 80s and 90s. Uh, Kenny Stabler, the snake, uh, finally inducted into the Hall of Fame, unfortunately, after he died in 2015, was one of the greatest players uh, I've ever watched on on film. I wish I'd been alive to watch his career. He actually hung it up the year before I was born in 1984 after a couple of seasons with the New Orleans Saints, which followed one season with the Oilers after he left the Raiders. Uh, he is a special guy. He is a, you know, a, a lost a lost breed, shall we say. They don't make him like they used to. That Raiders team, you know, I've talked about him in the past as well, the badasses, the John Madden-led uh, brigade of... Uh, of doom. They were like nothing else. They were hard drinking, hard partying, um, trash talking, fist fighting maniacs. And, uh, they left the trailer destruction in their wake. Uh, Stabler himself, he, uh, he only picked up one Super Bowl with the Raiders before his time with them came to an end, but it was the first one for the franchise and, uh, got them over the hump. That was Super Bowl 11. Uh, so that was right in the uh, in the middle of the Steelers' dominance. Really amazing, amazing character, and deserves something special to commemorate his career and character. And his nickname, like I said, was a snake. Okay, he's always known as a snake. He was a slippery character, hard to bring down, always moving around in the pocket. And uh, there's only one watch you think of when you think of a snake, right? Um, it's the Bulgari Serpenti. Serpent. Yeah. Well, there's the downside. Um, the Serpenti is not a man's watch traditionally, and Stabler was really a man's man. Now, I was talking to Pascal Brandt of Bulgari in Geneva last year, Geneva Watch Days, and I said to him, you know what, in all seriousness, inspired by the titanium Bulgari Octofinissimo that we, we really love on Fratello, I said, if you made a blasted titanium Serpenti in a slightly larger size, it doesn't have to be automatic, you make it a quartz, that's fine big enough for me to wear, you know, something that I could, you know, wrap around the wrist. I would actually, I would consider buying that because I think it is like super, super cool. And I think that Stabler, you need to be a certain kind of person to pull it off, I think. But Stabler had enough swagger and self-confidence to to wear whatever the hell he wanted. To be honest, he could probably take one of these fully bejeweled Serpentis and make it look, uh, make it look fitting on his wrist. But I'd like to see Bogari, uh, in the same way that you did with Moser in your first pick, do something particularly special for him or his legacy, and a fully blasted, oversized Bulgari Serpenti in titanium. Nice. That's it, baby. Like almost like a bracelet, like a huge... Yeah, man. Like a gauntlet. More like a gauntlet. Forearm like a bracelet. Gladi- yes, right. All the way up the forearm. And he'd, he'd go out and he'd wear, he'd wear like a tight white t-shirt with the sleeves rolled up, you know, sort of greaser style. Box of matches tucked in the, in the left shoulder. Tucked his t-shirt into his, into his black jeans work boots on, cigarette hanging out of his mouth, long hair flapping in the wind, and uh, in search of endless pints. That's it, man. He could make it work. Yeah. 
that's that's not a bad choice and it actually um fits his personality i mean at least um his younger um um active player personality he had he had majestic hair too i mean he really did he really did yeah he was number 12 like many of the greats another another great comes to mind number 12 for the jets and then for the rams of course there you go hungarian my guy guy. there you are yes but that's a that's a great one yeah i can see that with the and the snake the eyes of the snake could be like diamonds or something right like rubies or emeralds or something some just clear old diamonds just like blazing like so silver and black it'll look just right next to his raiders uniform perfect true just win baby all right Al Davis. awesome awesome <laughs> um nice one so my last pick is um you want to guess oh man uh so you've gone basketball you've you've got federer um let me think what else are you likely to go for? I oh God, I have no idea, but I don't know. Hockey? Almost. I went with one of football's soccer, football, I mean, European football's first international superstars. How is that and, almost hockey? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> it's not at all. It was a joke. <laughs> a bad one at that. Obviously. Um. Yeah, so I went with this one of these first superstars of of European football and the best player, uh, one of the best players ever to play play football. I'll put the boots on. Is it cleats or boots? Cleats is American football, right? And soccer is boots. Well, I believe that the Americans would call soccer boots cleats also. So okay. you know we well, call them cleats boots. on. Yeah, yeah, boots on. Um, I just I just give you a few numbers: eighty four goals in eighty five international games. Oh, I know, I think I know who this is. 514 goals in 529 matches in the the leagues he played in. Oh, good grief. 514 529. He almost scored a goal in every game he ever played in and and well, 84 goals for 85 international games. So um, really actually almost every game. Uh, for a national team um he only paid for played for two teams in his career and he's an olympic champion he's a world cup finals uh contender uh he has three european cups 10 national championships 808 goals in the official game scored during his career he's the third top goal scorer of all time behind erwin helmchen of germany 982 and an Austrian, Austro-Czech, uh, Josef uh, Bikan with 948, but they're from the 1920s and 30s. This is, my friend, the late, great Ferenc Pushkash from Hungary. Who else could it have been? What a, yes. what a stat line that is. So 800 and, uh, sorry, 84 games from 85 international games, a uh, goal, sorry, in, in, in 85 international games for Hungary. That's what he scored. And then... The goals from the matches came from Hungary and Spain because he played for Budapest Homewood and then he played for Real Madrid, two teams throughout his career as a player. Didn't, so, he, um, uh, didn't he also represent the Spanish national team briefly after... He did, yeah, yeah, very briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. in 1956, when the revolution uh, happened, unfortunately in Hungary, they, he left, or well, they, I think they were on a tour and he never returned to Hungary. And he stayed in Spain and that was a time when, when uh, Kocish and Pushkash and all of these guys... Um, left the country and Kocic was obviously playing for Barcelona uh, Puskas was playing for Real Madrid Kubala was also playing for 
Barcelona, there's a statue of Kubala uh, in in the stadium, I, which I saw, but he was from the early 50s, so he came before those guys, before the revolution. Uh, but yeah, and um, with Real Madrid, Di Stefano and Pushkash were these, you know, this tag team of two amazing players who scored um, crazy uh, amount of goals. And as I said, 514 goals in 529 in matches for uh, the Hungarian and the Spanish league. And um, he has 10 championships, five for Spain, five for Hungary in the, in the, in the national championship, national league. So uh, yeah, he's, he's uh, sadly forgotten, I think, um, unless you really know football or soccer for that matter. I'm guessing your dad probably remembers him more than well, I mean, I I, do. I grew up with with him as a legend. Um, certainly, I mean, I was really into football. Obviously, as a, as a kid growing up in Manchester, like it is it is our prime pastime. And uh, I remember when I was at university, all of the guys uh, knew Pushkash because we had this uh, Pro Evolution soccer game um, on the PlayStation, whatever two or something. I don't know. And uh, I'm not much of a computer game player, as you can probably tell by the way I'm talking about it, like a wooden middle-aged man. But um, I did play this game with my flatmates and we we had a draft uh, every year so we could draft our teams from the legends on the game. And Pushkas was always in the top, I think, four or five picks. Uh, people built their whole team around him. I mean, the stats on the game were reflective of his brilliance in real life. So... I mean, there's, there's, there's awards named after the guy, for goodness sake. I mean, he's, uh, yep. he's a legend. The nicest goal, I think, scored or something like that. Right, the, right, the, right. the most beautiful goal scored is, is the Pushkash Award. Right. Yeah, um, I have a, a little story. Uh, I've never met him, unfortunately. Uh, but I have a friend in Hungary whose grandfather is from Budapest. I'm not sure if he's still alive. I probably... He might have passed away. I can't remember, but he told me the story that his grandfather actually grew up with him um, when he was a young uh, young boy, and they used to play football, you know, and between the houses and down on the street. and uh, And my friend said, you know, I asked my granddad, like, how was he when when he was a young kid? And he was, and he said he was really, really good, but he never wanted to pass the ball. So we knew he's going to be great. <laughs> and then he went on to become, uh, yeah, one of the the most iconic soccer players or football players. So um, I wanted to find pictures of him wearing watches and it's just impossible. It's either something that you can recognize or when, it, when he's really, really old, uh, there's an interview with a Hungarian team where he wears like the typical solid gold, uh, day just 36, you know, and he was really, he was a short guy and he came, became really chubby towards the end of his life, he had a huge belly and kind of, you know, this typical uh, big forearm, kind of small, uh, 36 day, just looking like a bracelet on his wrist. So I said, okay, this is not cool. Ferenc Pushkash deserves some, you know, deserves something much, 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 much better. And so I picked him the, uh, not much bigger than the day just, it's only 37 millimeter. Although I could have picked the new one, but when I did my list, the new one, you know, was not out yet. The 5196G Patek Calatrava. Oh, classy. Very nice. Yes. With, uh, with a beautiful, um, 30, as I said, 37 millimeter case, wide gold case, solid case back, water resistant to 30 meters, 7.6 millimeters height. So it's, it's, a, it's a very classy piece. A sub dial at six o'clock, no date, um, classy, elegant, beautiful piece. And I think that would fit to his 
persona because he was really a very humble, very down to earth guy, uh, not flashy at all. Um, it would look perfect on him. And the white gold kind of looks like steel, so it's not even, you know, standing out too much. Or one of the new ones, now that uh, Patek came out with a new color, Trava. What do you think about that? Which one would you go for? The new one or stay with the uh, the 37mm th- uh, 5196G? I would stay with the 37mm, to be honest, because like you say, Pushkas was only uh, five foot eight, so he wasn't yeah. like a huge guy. And I think that, yeah, forearms aside, that's a, that's a nice sized watch for him. It's a good classic piece, and it has the right kind of gravitas for a player of his stature. I agree. So that's my last pick, Ferenc Pushkash and the 5196 Patek Philippe. Very nice. Um, surprisingly, maybe, considering we tend to focus mostly on North American sports, I have also picked a soccer football player uh, as my third. Um, Cantona. No, right team, right era, um, but wrong player. Um, uh, um, best. No, 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 later than best. Uh, but you're closer with the nationality. Not not exactly, but very close. So um, I went for my all-time favorite Manchester United player, Roy Keane. Um, ah, Roy My favorite Republic of Ireland player. Um, I don't know if we, we probably have touched on it. I was born in Dublin, so like uh, I've had an Irish passport all my life. And uh, I follow the Irish football team over the English team when they're in competitions, which is sporadic. Otherwise, I'd default to England. Um, and I remember being absolutely devastated in 2002 in the World Cup in uh, South Korea and Japan when Roy Keane fell out with Mick McCarthy and uh, was sent home from the team, which I still claim cost the Republic the chance to win the World Cup. Um, it's a good scapegoat to have. I hate Mick McCarthy um, almost as much as you hate Henrik Marzipan by the sounds of things. Um, but I, I really can't stand the guy. I, that's all right, whatever. I, like, I never liked him. But when he, when he kicked off with Keane, like, he was like, no player's bigger than the team. And I'm like, yes, he is. I was like, Roy Keane is the, like, literally the only world-class player we have. Are we really going to put it on Matty Holland's shoulders? No offense, Matty, you, you were great that year. But I mean, like, is, is Matty Holland going to win us the World Cup? No. Is Steve Finnan going to start scoring bicycle kicks from inside his own half? No, he's not. No. No way. I mean, Robbie Keane was on was on fine form that year, and in fact scored against Germany um, uh, for a one-one draw, which put Ireland into the knockout stages. Uh, which was the only goal that Germany conceded in the whole tournament, I think, until they met Brazil in the final and lost two-nil. If I am correct, um, I should have got those stats in front of me before I started spouting nonsense. But anyway, Roy Keane it was my hero growing up. Absolute hero. Um, I was born on the sixteenth of September. I've always worn number sixteen when it's available in every sport I've played. He wore number 16. Um, uh, there was a lot of things that I loved about him. I loved his playing style. He was like one of the last great, real like football hard men. And uh, he just exemplified everything that it was to be a Manchester United player in those uh, in those years. He was a captain from 97 to 2005. He led us to, although he wasn't on the pitch for it, he led us to the, the glorious treble of 1999 that I touched upon earlier that Man City might about to eclipse but i mean come on they're not going to eclipse it in the same same dramatic fashion that you uh that united managed to snare theirs so roy Keane, uh what's he known for okay. what do you know about roy Keane? i know that he went and played for the celtics in glasgow they don't, we don't call what them celtic. celtics or just just celtic, not, not sorry. Like glasgow, no, i'm sorry celtic. basketball basketball <laughs> terms with the celtic right sorry yeah. Not the Celtics. But he yeah. was a, he was one of the Celtics. 
He was one of the Celtics. Of the Celtics. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the Celtics. He could use his uh, he could use his uh, his Celtic language probably there. Uh with yeah. The Scottish people. Yeah, well, potentially. I mean, like that's uh, the Celtic were founded by Irish immigrants to Glasgow, I believe. So uh, there you go. There you go. So he's he's got some some connection to it. Yeah, he didn't play too much for them at all. Uh, I think he only made ten appearances in the league itself. I think he played a few more games in the cup. Uh, did score once for him though in the league, uh, which was pretty mm-hmm. cool. He, he scored for uh, every team he played for. He actually had a pretty good goal scoring record for. Uh, He's, I mean, he's a midfielder. Um, I always saw him as more of a defensive midfielder, but he did play um, all over the middle throughout his career. But about one in 10, a little bit better than one in 10, not a bad return. But he was most known for his um, his role as an enforcer. Now, uh, mm-hmm. in hockey, of course, this is a, a common thing. You know, you've got a guy that can fight, uh, a goon, as it were. A goon, yeah. Uh, Keane was like the football version of that, really. Like, he, he would not, down to anybody he would never give an inch if somebody tried to take one he would he would probably take four or five inches right back without even without even thinking about it he was uh, uh an aggressive uh unrelenting never say die kind of player uh he was the heartbeat of the team but he almost stopped a few heartbeats in his career with some of his crunching tackles and uh you know what nowadays we'd probably call uh borderline if not absolute assault um, which, you know, <laughs> I'm all for it. I love that era of football. I thought it was uh, much better, you know, when the only time a man ever stayed down on the ground was when he literally couldn't get back up. And Keane inflicted that kind of injury upon many people. And it's not something to be glorified, but at least the spirit of it is something that I miss. Therefore, I have decided to gift Roy Keane a Breitling emergency. Um, because... Uh, of all the players that I know, he's the most likely to put somebody in hospital. Uh, he's the most likely guy to uh, have calls to radio in for a helicopter to land in the middle of the theater of dreams and pick up his latest uh, victim, shall we say. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I've got, I'm going to strap one of those onto Keane's wrist. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is with Roy Keane, like he's, he's such a tough guy. I reckon that, and he likes a laugh, obviously. He likes a laugh. Um, he's, he's better humored than he seems when he's, when he's performing his punditry, you know, he's, he's in professional mode there. It's his job to rant and rave, um, you know, in the commentary booth and in the punditry booth. But, um, I reckon he'd just phone this helicopter out for a laugh, like on a Friday night, you know, when he's having a few beers down the club and, uh, you know, you're supposed to get fined. I don't know what it is. Something like 20 grand or something. If you call it out unnecessarily, um, but I think he'd just like yell at them until they got back in a helicopter and flew away. I mean, I'm not saying they get out of the helicopter and demand that you pay a 20 grand fine in cash, but you know, he'd just be like, I'm not paying that away with you. And that'd be get it. Back in the chopper. Get back yeah. in the chopper, you know? So, uh, that's it. Yeah. Brightland emergency. Now. For Mr. Keen, uh, Sir Keen. Good one. <laughs> that's I like Good one. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Good one. Alternatively, he could take the sin EZM. Uh, 12 remember the one where the <laughs> is that the one that has the bezel that pops off in case you get blooded? exactly you get a special special knife and maybe the guys would have that you know in the chopper and they're like we, we have to pop off to wash the blood of our blood because <laughs> he'd punch us in the nose if we don't get back to the chopper now oh come on i mean he's such a, he's such a great i mean he was a great footballer that is the thing he was a great footballer but he was just so much of a character and so much the, the talisman of that team like uh what a guy you know, uh, speaking actually speaking of him, and going back to Ted Lasso, there's a character in the in the TV show called Roy Kent. 
<laughs> well, that's got to be based on him, surely. Yeah, if you if you watch the show, Roy Kent is an older guy. He's not a tall guy. He's he's towards the end of his career. He's kind of the backbone of the team. He's always grumpy. He's uh, you know he's he, he never smiles, never jokes, but he goes out and dies for the team. There you on, go on the football field. So I'm pretty sure Roy Kent is is um, is based off of Roy Keane. Um, yeah, watch the, watch the show, Rob. Tell me next time what you think about it and what you think of Roy Keane. All right, mate. I'll try and catch up with it. I'm actually going to go watch some Roy Keane highlights after we finish recording this show because it's got it's got a fire lit inside me. It just makes me feel like a kid again. Oh God, I used to love that man. I still do love him. I think he's fantastic. Anyway, now that was fun. That was good. That was exciting. Yes, I enjoyed that. I learned a lot about your uh, sporting passion. Yes, very very cool. Now we're going to close the show with a segment that we have called. Robbley's Believe It or Not. Now, if you're not American, you might not be familiar with the famous... No, 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 no. You called that, not me. I'm sorry. I, I have nothing to do with that name. Oh, you right. called okay. that. Well, I like to see us as a team. But okay, if you want to individualize it, I called it that because I'm the creative driving force of the show. Thanks. <laughs> nice one. Uh, yeah, don't come at me. Uh, so if you're not American, you might not be familiar with the famous series of books called Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I think they even have like theme parks and stuff all over the place. So it's these like remarkable scenarios that, you know, we'd never think would happen. These crazy things. Uh, they're kind of like the Guinness Book of World Records for just bizarre incidents. And they're released regularly and they're very, very popular. Anyway, I picked up this uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not thing just from following American sports on my life. So I renamed it, yes, um, rather egocentrically, Robbley's Believe It or Not. If your name was, I don't know. Ryan, I would have called it Ryan Lee's, believe it or not, but it's not. Well, is well it? the nickname of Balaj is Bali, so you can call me Bali's, believe it or not. But I, I, I have oh, nothing, I, you have them, so. I, I did not know Bali's. So how this is going to work, right? I have concocted three, let's say, stories, short stories. Um, they are either true or false. I'm going to read out the stories to Balaj in their entirety. And then Balaj is going to guess whether they're true or false. He might make a comment or two, knowing him, um, about the stories. And, you know, show us your working, by all means. Tell us why you think it's one or the other. I trialed these on my girlfriend last night. I always try things out on my girlfriend before I present them to you, Balaj. Uh, too much info. Well, you know, I wanted to make sure that when we finally meet for the first time, you know, I don't embarrass myself with my kissing technique. I know, right? I'm not going to cut that out. I'm going to leave that in. I, I, I hope you're just kissing your teeth now. Like, I want to see this guy. Anyway. Okay, I'll... Rob, we're turning into something we don't want to. So let's, let's get on with the first story, please. All right. All right. All right. By the way, she got one right and two wrong. So you've got to beat that. All right. Okay. All right. My first entry in Robley's Believe It or Not deals with soccer or football as Balage and I like to call it when we're not on air presenting Wasp. Fittingly, I'm heading over to Switzerland, where my tale concerns the post-playing career of former Swiss national team captain Stefan Lichtsteiner. Lichtsteiner was known throughout his career for his tenacity and tactical nous, as well as a relentless work ethic that saw him put together many a blazing run down the right wing, earning him the nicknames Forrest Gump and the Swiss Express. Before settling on a career in professional football that saw him become the third most capped Swiss player of all time with 108 appearances for the national side, Lichsteiner completed a banking apprenticeship in Zurich. Rather than returning to his banking life following his decision to hang up his boots, however, he moved on to pastures new, deciding, quite remarkably, to retrain as a watchmaker. 
he went back to Zurich and signed with Maurice de Mauriac. How far Stefan's watchmaking journey will take him is unclear, but if he dedicates the same level of commitment to our industry as he did his football career, I'm sure we'll be seeing great things from him in the future. So, Balaj, do you believe it hmm. or not? A football player who's a watchmaker working for Maurice de Mauriac in Zurich. Um, it's plausible, right? Well, that's the whole idea. They're supposed to be mostly. Yeah, I know, but like, um, I'll go with no, because it would it would be too obvious. I'm afraid it is true. Dang. Ah, Dang. ouch. Okay. okay. She guessed this one correct. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where she got her correct and uh, where she got her two uh, falsies because uh, two falsies weird um, because that might give it away. Um, I don't want you to see if there's. You know, it was too obvious to be honest. That's what I thought. Like, yeah, come on, football player becomes a watchmaker. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, look, right. here's, here's the thing, right? So they could all be true. We know they're not all false because that one was true, but they could all be true. That you got to remember yeah. that. So, okay, okay, so uh, you're, you're 0 for 1 at the moment. Um, it's quite interesting, actually. Stefan Lischsteiner is retraining, so to speak, as a watchmaker with Maurice de Moriak. He's He's kind of following them around a little bit and, like, getting involved in it and lots of things. Obviously, he's kind of become, like, a, a semi-ambassador for the brand. It's quite an interesting brand, actually. They don't do, like, a huge amount technically, but it is... Actually, quite- I should have thought about that when you brought up the brand name because you, you normally wouldn't come up with that brand, would you? Uh, no, quite. But, you know, just to set a precedent, when I am writing these Robbleys, believe it or not, passages, I am going to try and make them as, you know, as odd mm-hmm. as possible. Because, you know, if it was straight up obvious, it wouldn't be fun. All righty. Okay. You ready for number two? I was born ready. I love it when you say that. Okay. The strangest complication ever was created late last year by a genius watch student at Miami's Wastep training facility. An avid sports fan like us, Armin Schiller, created a hybrid mechanical radio-controlled movement that was initially inspired by the Grand Seiko spring drive system. Now, the Schillertron, which is maybe not the best name, but I guess he's about our age and probably grew up watching Transformers and, you know, thinks it's cool, I don't know, doesn't share much in common with the spring drive at all, but it does have this weird interaction between a circuit board and a mechanical drive system. So, Schiller had this idea to make a watch that told the time every single day, as you'd expect, but to stop, or, well, not stop exactly, but for the hours, minutes, and seconds hand to stop at midnight on the two days of the year on which no professional American sports contests are held. This is why it's relevant to Wasp, okay? Now, that sounds simple enough, but the problem is that the dates are different every year. So, these days are based around Major League Baseball's All-Star Game, and the days off are the day before and the day after so this game's normally held in July, normally held on a Tuesday, I think either the second or the third of the month, but it changes. So with this kind of unknowable flexibility, Sheila had to add an electronic component that could receive a live update of which days would require the watch to stop, and then figure out a way to communicate that information mechanically. To cut a long story short, he did succeed by building a website which pulls the necessary dates from the MLB's very own schedule and then transmits them as a day number of the year, compensating at this point for leap years to the watch via radio signal. The receiver in the watch then moves a 366-toothed wheel, which is massive, it sits mostly under the dial, selecting the day of the game and thus informing the movement of the two days it needs to stop for, because it will stop for the one before and the one after, so it's geared up to do that. 
But I did actually ask him, I reached out to him and asked him, why he didn't make the selector wheel just up to the end of July or August, for example, to accommodate for a bit of flexibility? Because, uh, you know, then it wouldn't have to be so big and so complex. And he said he'd considered it, but in the past, there have been more than one All-Star game played uh, in a year, in a single calendar year. And after last year, which saw the contest cancelled altogether because of the pandemic, there's a real possibility that further disruptions could mess with the traditional dates. So, this way, as complicated as it is, He's totally covered whatever the eventuality. And I don't know if you've seen this watch or not, but it's, an, it's a beast. It's thick as hell. And although it's not unattractive, it's just a weird looking thing and a good one for my number two slot. So the question is, do you believe it or not? If I've seen this, this, the Shillatron, right? What? That's the name of the watch, the no, Shillatron. No, the Shillatron is what he called the movement, right? I don't Sorry, know. Sorry, the I, movement. It's right. ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But um, mm-hmm. here you go. I mean, what, what would you call a movement that you'd invented yourself? The Barlage. The Barlage. <laughs> Hi, this is my new watch. And, uh, this is the Barlage Caliber 1. I hope you like it. Yeah. yeah. Do you have to say it like that? Are you going to ch- change the spelling of your name? I can, so it can, be- I can talk it with this accent if you want. It's the Barlage. Barlage. Yeah. Like a, a bit like a Russian accent. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I don't think this is, this is a true story. You don't think this is a true story? You're no, you're calling my bluff on the ship. Yes, I think I think you put too much too much effort into this this Fugazi ah. story. Ah. Well, believe it or not, it is a lie. You're right. Yes, I made there it. You up. Go. I made it up there you go. There you go. Shillatron. The Shillatron. Armin Schiller doesn't even exist. I thought you'd just give up on the name. I thought it was ridiculous, but it was the first thing that came to me. And I don't know what's going on in my head if Armin Schiller is the first name that comes to me. There you go. Yeah. I mean, Armin Ström is obviously a brand. He's a Swiss watchmaker, yeah, named after a Swiss, watch, uh, a Swiss watchmaker. So Armin could be, Schiller is a German name, could be a Swiss German guy. I mean, it's believable. Um, I thought it was pretty good, actually. That yeah, was a good one. That was a good one, I really, yeah. I really tried to think about how it could work um, and the, the questions I might ask him if he existed, but he does not exist. Um, there you go. Well done. Yeah. Okay, you got one. You got one. So you've got a real chance to, one, to one. beat the misses here. There you I go. Have a feeling that you might do, to be quite frank, because I think you'll be very, very um, uh, hot on this subject. And also, Ooh. you know me, so you'll probably be able to see through this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bring it. Number three in Robley's Believe It or Not. To accompany American astronaut Alan Shepard on his 1971 mission to the moon aboard Apollo 14, NASA issued him with an Omega Speedmaster chronograph. But that's not all that Shepard packed with him on his journey. While on the moon, Alan Shepard became the first man to play a sport in space when he took two one-handed golf shots with the first one traveling about 24 meters and the second close to 40, despite reporting live at the time that the second ball had traveled miles and miles. Shepard had to contend with the challenging conditions of his spacesuit being incredibly rigid and the fact his golf club comprised a modified sampling tool with a collapsible shaft made from Teflon and aluminium with a six iron head stuck on the end of it. Shortly afterward, a less often reported event occurred when astronaut Edgar Mitchell threw a javelin, becoming the second man to play a sport in space. The javelin traveled slightly further than both of Shepard's shots, but only by, uh, only by about four inches or so, says Mitchell himself. However, mm. however, how are we doing so far? What do you think so far? Is it true or is it false? Well, that's a tough one because I... Remember that Alan Shepard did play golf in space, but I don't remember. I mean, I don't know if the second part of the story is true or not. Well, it's you know, 
that's integral to it. I could stop it here because you're obviously consternated, but I'm going to give you a real chance because I wrote the rest of it and uh, yeah, go for it. It's pretty good. I mean, it's uh, it's a good account of a you know legendary happening. However, mm. neither man's effort comes close to the longest sporting shot of any kind played in space. Although not officially sanctioned by NASA prior to the mission and thus seldom reported, Apollo 17 astronaut Eugene Cernan, widely remembered as the last man to have set foot on the moon, played a solo game of intergalactic tiddlywinks, the results of which still threatened the very existence of mankind. Wait for it. Cernan's first and only tiddlywink shot leapt almost vertically upwards from the surface of the moon and never came down. It floated out into space, where it has been floating, gathering pace, for almost half a century. Over time, the rogue tiddlywink accrued dirt, dust, and ice, growing vastly in size until, sometime around mid-2005, it had transformed into a super comet, which found itself on the collision course with Pluto. There's more. Wait. Sometime in early 2000... Come on, I mean, I put some effort into it. Sometime in... I had to do a lot of research. I was on the phone to NASA for hours, you wouldn't believe. Sometime in early 2006, Cernan's tiddlywink smashed into Pluto, vastly reducing its size, which resulted in Pluto being reclassified as a dwarf planet later that year. The true reason for Pluto's reclassification was hidden from the public, despite Cernan himself wishing to tell the truth before he passed away. To placate Cernan, Omega promised to create a special tribute to Gene Cernan limited edition, which was released shortly after his death on January 16th, 2016, almost exactly 10 years after his tiddlywink eradicated half of Pluto and sent a strong message of war to the aliens that hover around the edge of our solar system, trying to figure out if we are safe to approach or whether the entire human race is better off vaporized for the safety of the universe. Balage, is it true or is it false? There's a truth to it when it comes to uh, the, the beginning, but I think this is false. It's a lie. You better hope it is, because otherwise... It is a lie. Trip. But but Shepard did play golf. I, rem- I think I, I remember he had like this kind of uh, funny made uh, golf uh, club yeah. that he used. And I think it's, it's even... Uh, displayed with the with the, even the golf balls somewhere. Yeah, I, I, so in those days... There's a video on YouTube, isn't it? I think I saw that. Yeah. It was ridiculous seeing him in the spacesuit playing golf. So it's true. So, like, uh, the rules of, like, what uh, astronauts could be given after a, a space mission changed uh, since Shepard's days. Um, but he was actually gifted the club, which was, as I described, a collapsible sampling tool made from Teflon and mm-hmm. aluminium with a six-iron head stuck on the end of it. The balls are still on the moon's surface, though. The balls are still up there. And so is the javelin that Mitchell threw. It, Mitchell actually did throw a javelin. That bit was also true. However, however, my bluff, to my knowledge, at least to the public's knowledge, and according to NASA, Cernan did not play tiddlywinks on the moon. And he has not threatened the existence of mankind by doing so. So that's something to take take uh, solace in. How, yeah, okay, so so you got two out of three. So you beat yeah. you beat my girlfriend. Uh, however, so she got the first one and the second one wrong. She thought the Shillatron might actually be real. Um, she did call my bluff on the third one, but you'll never guess why. Okay, um, it was it was because. And this is weird because my girlfriend's German and she, she's more than fluent in English. She's uh, just totally competent in, 
in the language and has, has in fact taught me English words in the past. So, you know, she, she is, uh, she's not... It tells a lot about you, though, not about her. It says a lot about you. Well, it, it says a lot about her, but even more about you. Perhaps so, yeah. Maybe I should have revealed that live on air on the podcast for the uh, magazine for which I am the managing editor. But anyway, um, she has taught me... Uh, what was the word that she taught me now? Monothematic. Honestly, I'd never, I'd never, I'd never used it before. I mean, obviously, I knew what it meant, but she said it in in conversation. I was like, "Wow, is that a word? <laughs> Great!" Yeah. And I was like, I was googling under the table while she was talking just to see, like, "Oh God, that is actually a word in English I've it never used." Word. It's a really nice one. <laughs> and monotematisch, it's uh, easier. <laughs> anyway, um, doesn't only have the looks, but the brains to go with it. Damn right. So she uh, she read this passage and she said, "Yeah, that's definitely false." And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I figured you would get that because obviously we're not on the cusp of uh, intergalactic war and, uh, or at least into intra solar We don't know. Intragalactic war, maybe. Uh, I said, how did you, how did you know? And she went, tiddlywink. And I was like, what? And she's like, tiddlywink. That's just such a rob word to make up. And I was like, no, tiddlywinks is a, it's a game. It's a game. And she was like, it's a board oh. game. Yeah. Oh, right. And I was, I was like, are you telling me that the thing that like set you onto that being a lie was the tiddlywinks and not like the fact that you had a tiddlywink was the thing, not the fact that, and she's like, yeah, it caused an intergalactic war. Hey, you know what, man? She was right. It doesn't matter how she got there. She got there in the end as some kind of, there you go. I think she wasn't saying that she'd never heard the word tiddlywink. I think she was just saying that it's just such a rob word to use in something like that. Like why tiddlywinks? <laughs> anyway. Well, right. I did beat her though. Oh, I got you. I'm going to isolate that. That's it. That's the question on tape. Great. That's our next podcast. True crime. Nice one. I'm looking forward to the next podcast and your next three uh, Robly, believe it or not, stories. <laughs> Robly's believe it or not. It's going to become a thing. By the end of uh, by the end of Wasp's run, we'll be able to yeah, have, a pic, have a t-shirt. Yeah, why not, man? With, with, the, with the Robly's um, logo and stuff. Sounds like a really dodgy type of cider as well, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I'm going to get on the Robly's tonight. I mean, dude. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. Well, to be to be honest with you, I just realized that every time I um, I want to up our uh, number of listens and uh, go on Spotify to listen to our podcast from five different IP addresses, you're the logo. You're still the logo. Yeah, I know. It's a great logo. Yeah, it's not a great logo. I thought I actually wanted to tell you, like we should change the logo and put, and put um, a new one like for every episode, like. We talk about goats. It should be like a, a goat head or something. Yeah, yeah, next yeah, week. yeah, yeah. Look, I thought about that, but I've only got so many pictures of myself. Yeah. Oh, wait, am I missing yeah. your point? You, yeah, you are missing my point. You're still the logo of, of our podcast. And I although I'm there only 10% of the time and you're 90, I'm, I feel left out that I'm not the Wasp logo. Okay, well, if you send me... Maybe for fact, season two. Fact, I, yeah, maybe for season two. There you go. Uh, I, I've seen a very good, a very seen a very appropriate photo of your face that would work very well in that setting. I believe you had it as your WhatsApp image at one point. So if you want to send that to me in full res, I'll do you a solid. I'll change it. I'll change it. I'll put I'll put it every other one. I'll go back on Buzzsprout. I can do it. I can change the cover now. It's not it's not set in stone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I won't. Uh, uh, I could do it. I won't because I like looking <laughs> at my own face because it's a brilliant picture and I've done a damn good job with the color scheme. I love it. So, no. And you're wearing a what hat? Is it a Nets? Brooklyn it's Nets hat? It's actually a Nets hat. Yeah, yeah. And I did one thing that I've never really done before. I took that picture many years ago. I did a selfie. And I'm not very good at selfies. You know, it's, no. uh, it's a True. generational thing. But I thought that one came out quite well. I was looking like a uh, vaguely threatening for once. A gangster. Well, I don't know. Not really, not really very gangster, but yeah. Looking, was, like a, yeah, looking like a boarding school gangster. 
boarding school game. Boarding school game. I would have loved to have gone to boarding school. It would have been great. Loved it. I've I've gone to boarding. It's not that great. Oh, all right. I'll take your word for it. I didn't like scout camp too much. Uh, to be frank, maybe it's like <laughs> I, 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 I was never a scout, but but yeah, I, I I mean it's a nice logo. But every time I listen to me and I look at my iPhone lock screen, I see your face there. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh-huh. a duck, kind of like a duck face, like a semi duck face. Yeah, well, I, I, I make spe- an excuse for that because I, that's just my face. I have a very pronounced bottom lip. No, 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 no. That's a duck face. You go. You just admitted you did a selfie. That's like a duck face selfie, I my didn't. friend. I did it, but I didn't pout. That's just how my mouth looks when it's closed. I got a big teeth as well, so you know. All right, I, well, guys, I, if you uh, if you want to check it out, go on Spotify, look for the Fratello on Air podcast. Um, scroll down to find Wasp with this Miami Vice pink, blue, and neon green turquoise whatever color logo, Rob with Rob's face in the background and in, in the New York Net. Uh, sorry, New York crazy Brooklyn Nets hat. And then please go on and uh, search for BBCC, German Engineering. I just showed a new music to Rob before the, 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 the recording. Sadly, we can't play it on the podcast because it's probably copyright. Uh, right, so would be copyright and fragment. Yeah. yeah. Bad Boy Chiller Crew. Where are they from? Where, you, where Rob's from? They're from Bradford, aren't they? Bamford. Bradford, no, Bamford, Bradford, Bamford. Yeah, I'm not quite from B- Bradford, but it's not a million miles away. It's just over the hill. It's in Yorkshire. Uh, Have you been there? Uh, I've been like to that? Bradford. I've been to Bradford. No, I didn't like Bradford. No, I left no? as soon as I got there. I like the rugby league team, <laughs> the Bradford Bulls. They're class. Um, I like rugby league. Mm-hmm. I support the Huddersfield Giants. But I did I did always try and catch the Giants versus the Bulls game because uh, the Bulls were really, really good when I was watching it a lot back then. With that, we are going to wrap it up. That has been episode 51 of Fratello on Air, episode 7 of Wasp. We are cantering towards our planned live episode 10. So if you have any suggestions of what you'd like to see on that show, please hit us up in the comments below the article or find either of us on social media and send us a direct message. It's okay, we won't bite. Next week, we are going to try and get our good friend Dave Sargent into the booth on the phone to talk about his beloved Edmonton Oilers of the National Hockey League. Hockey! And Balaj and I will be back, as always, with more watch facts, more news, Mm -hmm. more sporting updates, and a little bit more of Robley's Believe It or Not. Until then, guys, stay safe and keep on ticking.